Good afternoon, everyone. We have our third guest of this brand new podcast called Unstoppable Leadership with Daniel Levine. And you are an interesting person, sir. I've not met very many people that are willing to actually really be honest on where they started from, where they were headed to, and decided to take a different turn in leadership. And I think that's one of those things that I find extremely interesting because being in leadership roles throughout my 20 plus years in different career modes, I love it when somebody can really say, you know what, I want to think about this, but I'm going to do it this way and not the way that you want me to do. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I think it's really interesting for our audience to really know where you come from and how the book Mosaic became to be. Okay. How many, how many years do we have for the podcast here? Thank you. <laughs> First of all, Don, thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I, I We had a short chance to talk in the green room beforehand. And I so admire you for the person you are. And I want to thank you for being here on the show with you. So thanks. Um, you're right. I am a different person, not because of choice, just because that's the way the cards fell. I always wish that I could have lived, still lived four blocks away from my parents' house, gone into my dad's business, stayed with my friends, known the people, grown up with my friends and family from that place around me. It just never was meant to be. And the reason I knew it was never meant to be is at 13 years old, my hero, my, my God, my mentor, my, the greatest person that I ever knew existed in the world. And he wasn't the greatest one in retrospect, but he was the greatest one to me. My dad was, was taken um, from this world. And um, that was so abrupt and so fast. And it scared me so much. Because what I realized is we live in a world where things can happen at any point in time to anybody we know. He wasn't sick. There was nothing wrong with him. He died making love to my mom on the 4th of July. And so he and I was away at camp and everybody says, what a great way to die. Well, it's a great way for it's a great way for my dad to die. It was not a great way for my mom to have him die because she was just devastated and she died of heartbreak two years later on the 4th of July because all she wanted was to be with him. And it somehow was a theme. I don't know that my brother got it, but I, but I felt it. It was a theme that we just wanted. I just wanted to be with them too. And so I, what, what I write about really um, beautifully in my book, The Mosaic, which is really surprising to me because I didn't know it before I wrote The Mosaic, is that I've had so many beautiful, blessed opportunities. I had the opportunity to run a billion-dollar company. I had the opportunity to be the, the protege of the man who was just starting organizational psychology. And he said, Danny, I want you to do this with me, and then I'll hand it over to you. I had the opportunity to have to change the scope of where Judaism was going by, by learning with one of the, a rabbi who was changing Judaism around. Um, I had the opportunity to live in a monastery and be with monks for 10 years and live a monastic life. I, I had so many opportunities, but when I looked at them, none of them answered that question of where, where was my mom and dad? When, when Mo in the book, The Mosaic, asked the adults, where did my parents go? They say to him, they're in a place called heaven. And he sets that that day to find heaven. 
I set out that day to find heaven. I didn't know that's what I was looking for. I didn't know that that's where my parents, they said my parents were. And I didn't even know what heaven was. I thought it was a guy someplace up above the sky with a guy with a way better beard than mine, sitting on a throne way nicer than mine, making decisions, right? Yeah. But that but that wasn't that what I found heaven to be. It's only in the last few years and writing the mosaic that I realized that for me, just for me, it doesn't matter for I can't tell anybody else what heaven is for them. But for me, heaven is that place where you look at something one way your whole life. And then you suddenly have a perspective shift and you mm -hmm. see it completely differently. Yeah. And that place is so miraculous in business. We call it innovation in religion. We call it inspiration in, or, or transformation in friendships. We call it, you know, just this, this moment that where we cross over this line and we become something with each other that we never could see before. That's what the mosaic is all about. It's about those moments where you look at something one way and suddenly you see it entirely different. Yeah. That is interesting that you say that because along my journey, I've lost my mom first and then I lost my dad. I lost my dad maybe about three years ago. But you talk about those defining moments when growing up, I went to a Southern Baptist church, loved it growing up, but also I would ask the questions that the elders weren't equipped to actually answer because I think even at a very young age, I knew what we were being taught wasn't exactly what was ringing true to what I knew innately. That and takes then, a lot of courage, by the way, to even think <laughs> that or admit that or say that it takes a lot of courage. It does. And especially growing up in a small southern town and, you know, to have the guts to question your elders. And I guess I didn't know to not be afraid to not question them. I think mm. that's why. And then as you get older, you're going like, OK, I'll just go with the flow because you don't really find the answers. And then. When my mom passed away, I went back to the church and then I slowly started going back away because I was going like, it was not still resonating with me at all. And then when my dad passed away, my aunt was having lunch with me and she said, you need to read the book Proof of Heaven by Dr. Eben Alexander. Have you read that one by chance? Yes, a long time ago. And that's what started my journey, my awakening of re-realizing re those little moments is what defines our life. Yeah. And by the end of that book, what I realized, no, more, no matter what we do in our lives, is we just realize that we are loved. That's it. And yeah. it's so much of a burden to take off of oneself when you realize that Number one, you don't have to be perfect. Number two, no matter what you do, you are loved. And that is the epitome, I think, of why we struggle so much in not only this world, but also in leadership as well, because leaders are being told you have to be a certain way yeah. and you have to lead a certain way. 
And that was one of the struggles that I had was to bring together my, at that point, my worldview of Christianity to a leadership role. And I was going like, that really doesn't really mesh really well. Some others are better at it than I am on that, but I just could not get it to mesh. So I think I find that really interesting that you put it that way because everybody has those defining moments and it's, what are you going to do with it yeah, when it I, hits you? And I would even like to walk it back a little because it isn't so much being that we realize we are loved by a God or we are loved by other people. I think it really starts as, as, as sort of Pollyannish as it sounds. And I, I fought this for so many years because so many people were saying, and I thought, oh, come on, what are we going to put butterflies and hearts around all these statements? <laughs> But it, it really comes down to a simple, simple practice of do I have the courage to love myself amidst my own judgment of myself? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm overweight right now and I have pain in my body right now. And, and I'm not making as much money as I used to at one point in time. And... I was sitting in meditation the other day and those were all really sore spots for me. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was, I felt, I felt like less than I should be. And in my meditation, I, I came to, to, to hear for me, the, this voice, this beautiful voice of God that speaks to me in the quiet. And that voice of God said to me, do you love yourself enough? to walk through these tests that I'm giving you purposely to see if you love yourself enough. Mm. Do you love yourself enough if you're not viewed in the the eyes of the world as someone who's making a lot of money right now? Do you love yourself enough and be viewed in the eyes of the world as being uh, too heavy? Do you view yourself in the eyes of the world of being in pain? Or do you view yourself in your own eyes? Can you love yourself enough that even in your own eyes, you can love yourself if you are less than you think you should be. That is heavy right there. Well, it's it really it, is. Actually, it's light because as soon as <laughs> I realized that it, it took the burden of my weight off of me. It took the it burden does. of my pain off of me. It does. And the reason I say for some that it might be heavy is because they haven't got there yet. Yeah. They haven't got there yet. And I think for some, um, a young lady that I was commenting on Facebook today, and she couldn't see what I could see. For some reason, I have this, um, the only way I can explain it is a soft knowing about somebody. And it's to pick on those vibrations of you, what I see in another person is so much more than what they see in themselves. Yeah. And I think you hit that nail on the head when you were talking about you have to love yourself. Yeah, I, I would say it differently. I wouldn't say that you have to. I would just invite you to and ask you if you do. Like, I think we're thrown, we throw ourselves into the lion's den when we say we have to be something that we're not. We're not, yeah. we're not that. If we're not yeah. that... But what we can do is we can say, you know what? I am less than I want to be. And that's okay. I love myself right where I am. 
Yeah. Because whether I'm in the hand of God here or here, lifted up, or here, down on the floor, the truth of the matter is I'm still in the hand of God. I'm still in his palm. My view might change, and I might think it looks lousy down below, but it doesn't look any different. I'm still in the palm of God. Yeah, exactly. Because and he cuddles you no matter where you're at. So when you look at all the places that I walked away from, none of them even come close to the comfort of the palm of God. Hmm. And when I felt that palm of God lift me up to an exalted place of being the of possibly running a billion dollar company, and then bring me down to a to a to a, a a street where all I had was a tomato, a can of beans, and a bottle of wine and a loaf of bread, and I was hitchhiking and sitting next to somebody else on the street who had nothing and sharing that with them. Some might say that was a big fall. For me, there was no fall. For me, yeah. that was just the next step along the journey. Yeah. And I wouldn't consider that a fall either. I think back in my earlier days, I probably would have. Yeah. And it's to, that is one of the things that I've learned from my dad and my grandfather the most. Is knowing no matter where you're at, if you think you are at your lowest, most of the time you're not. There is a lesson to learn where you're at at that moment and is be willing to learn that lesson and be willing to take what you have learned and share it with others. And I think that that's why I find part of why this conversation is so interesting because when you take the time to really sit down in meditation and for my viewers out there, for you that don't know what meditation is, don't ever be scared of doing it or even trying it. Don't make it into something that you have to sit there for a half hour or an hour a day. Some can do that, but for the most part, most of us have to learn how to quiet our brain. And Dr. Joe Dispenza is really good at explaining that part of it. Um, if you have not read his books, um, being super or becoming supernatural is a good one. And there's also another one, and I can't remember the title of it right off the top of my head. But when you get yourself into that meditation, be willing to listen to those whispers of God, because that's what I call it. Because for most of us, we think we need to hear something loud and clear. Mm. And for the most part, God just gives you that little tinny whisper, yeah. that little tinny answer. That is what I call the wind just blowing through and you can hear it and just giving yourself, even if it's five or 10 minutes a day, give yourself that time because trust in yourself, trust where you're at and you will get that answer. So let me reframe it a little because I've had the beautiful, the beautiful grace to have been able to meditate every day for the last 45 years. Yeah. Um, and some of the days I've meditated 18 hours a day. And some days I've meditated two or three moments. Yeah. But every day I've sat and meditated. And if you think about what a mosaic looks like, the reason this isn't, I, my book is about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day and asks the adults where they are. And, he, and the people he meets along the way. But the image of mosaic is so exquisite for all these types of conversations. 
Because if you think about what a mosaic looks like, very rarely do pieces fit side by side all the time. Yeah. Sometimes they fit just the, the smallest little corner to the other smallest little corner. So when you continue, when, when we are able to continue our practice of meditation by even setting aside the smallest possible moment to just sit and give honor and just say, I might not have enough time. I might not be clear enough in mind or heart. But what I'm going to do today in this period of time is, God, I'm going to, I'm going to love you first and then ask you to try and say what you're saying to me in a way that I can understand it. And I'm just going to try and listen. And if I don't hear, if I don't hear, I'll come back tomorrow or I'll come back later today. Or I'll come back while right before I eat lunch. I'll say, I'll sit down and I'll, and I'll quiet myself. In the West, we think praying is talking. We tell God how great he is, how magnificent he is, how manifest he is, how fabulous he is. I, I, you know, I did that for a long time. I was one day away yeah. from being ordained a rabbi. So I spent, I spent lots and lots and lots of hours praying. At one point, I looked to my teacher and I said, do you really think God needs me to tell him how great he is? You don't think he knows that by now? For all these generations and generations, I think all he wants to do, I think what he really wants to do is tell me how, how great I am. If I could only yeah. listen to him, if I would only let him into myself. So the practice of meditation to me is not about us sitting, trying to do something we, we don't feel we can do. Yeah. When people come to me in my life and they say, I don't feel good enough, I say, fabulous. That's the best place you could be at. You know why? Because there's something that comes through you that's good enough to do everything. Let that come through you now. If you don't feel that you can do it on your own, fabulous place to be. Now just sit down and let the, the, let the power of God move through you. And no matter how small the opening in you is, God will use that opening to transform you and to bring you to a place where real leadership is possible because the first person we have to lead in the process of leadership is ourselves. And when all of the minions of ourselves, all of the selves of our body, all the belief systems we have tell us, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. When the momentum of our thought processes try and keep us from being who we are, a true leader stands up and says, Oh, but we can. We might not be able to do it on our own, but there's one that comes through me that can do it. Stand out of the way and let there that happen. Very good. I love that. I was thinking when you were talking about that, the moral of the mustard seed. You just have to have faith enough the size of a mustard seed. That's it. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, we take that for granted. And a lot of us probably know that and we hear it, but we don't practice it. And just hearing giving. And, <laughs> hearing and listening are two completely different actions. Very much when, so. <laughs> when, we, when we change our hearing into listening, our lives change. Oh, and yes. I'm on a I'm on a I'm on a on a mission to start a revolution of listening in the world because if you look around, what you see in the world today is not a lot of people who listen. No. Can I can I switch the momentum a little bit and tell you a little story? Go for it. I have the honor of having a 30 year old developmentally delayed daughter, and in my life I've had the the real blessing to be with some of the wealthiest people in the world. 
not just sitting in their audiences, learning from them, but sitting around their dining room tables and sitting in their living rooms, playing with their kids. I've met their parents and I've met their wives and I've met their husbands and I've met their families. And they've been kind enough upon occasion to ask my counsel on what I think they should do. And they've been even kinder on many occasions to give me their counsel of what they think I should do. I've had the most beautiful opportunity to sit in those same at different tables in different homes, but around the dining room table and around the living room or on the front porch with some of the greatest inspirational leaders that the world has ever known and spiritual beings that the world has ever known. And I've been lucky enough to have them upon occasion ask my counsel on what they on what I think about what's going on in their life and give me their counsel on what they think is going on in my life. But Don, I've also had the greatest opportunity to sit on the street corners with the poorest of the poor. And I've had the blessing to sit with them and get to know their friends and their families, their family of, of, of homeless people. They, they create a family as well. Even if their mm -hmm. families reject them, they have a, a self-included family. And we've sat with their families and, and eaten bread and cheese and drank from a bottle of wine together. And we've talked and they've been kind enough to give me their counsel. And on occasion, kind enough to ask me for my counsel as well. And what I've seen in every single case, Don, no matter how much money a person has, no matter how poor they are, no matter what color their skin, no matter what border they live behind, no matter how much, how educated they are, what they do for a living or don't do for a living, what religion they practice or what political party they associate themselves with. Every single one of them wants these three things. They want to be loved and accepted. They want to be listened to and heard. They want to be acknowledged and validated. So if you are a leader running a company, do you understand that every single person in your company wants those three things? If you tell them, I will give you a two, a $2,000 raise, but I'll take away love and respect and, I, and, and I, won't, I won't ever listen to you and I won't give you, I won't acknowledge and validate you or I'll do those three things and I'll keep you at the same wage. There are so many great companies that are paying less money to people that could, could be making much more money somewhere else. But the culture of the company is so great that they feel so much a part of that family because they feel listened to and heard, acknowledged and validated and loved and accepted that they transfer the big paying job to a less paying job because they love that culture. Yeah. Here's, the, here's what I really wanted to say. That was a long introduction. I'm sorry. I talk a lot. <laughs> Are you okay? Can I tell another story or we can interrupt you, you You can tell another story because I absolutely love that. And there's a lot of validity on what you just said on that. And the reason I say that is if anybody follows the news at all, Walmart just recently laid off a good a good number we don't have the true number but it's true what you say that people want to be acknowledged they want to be validated and they want to be loved and i think that that's an extremely important thing for companies to really understand and for leaders to understand you can't be a leader if you don't do that i'm going to be so i'm going to say flat out you can you can you can dominate and you can control but you can't lead um, so I was telling you, I started out the sentence, the, the, the long parable story by telling you I had the honor to have a 30 year old developmentally delayed daughter. 
And of all those people that I've met, of all the fabulous teachings that they've given me, of all the amazing counsel that they've given me, my daughter's taught me more than all of them in a simple, simple way. She's developmentally delayed. So she can't have a conversation like you and I are having now. So what happens is when she tries to talk, people don't understand her. They just don't, they can't make out her words. But with me, she expects me to understand her. She wants me to understand her because I'm the close. She and I, we love each other. We adore each other. And we're just so close. And she just counts on me to get what she's saying. And, and you know, a lot of the times I do go on, but sometimes I just don't. I just can't understand her for the life of me. I can't understand her. And when I can't understand her, what she'll do in her just beautifully innocent way is she'll say it louder. She'll, 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 she'll yell it because she thinks, well, I'm getting old and I'm losing my hearing, which is partly true, but it's not true in this case. Um, and so she'll try and say it louder, but it isn't the, the volume. It's the, it's the clarity of her speech that makes it hard for me to hear her. When I don't understand her, then she'll get really frustrated, but it won't happen right away. Sometimes it'll happen, bam, 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 bam. But sometimes it'll happen hours later, a day later. She'll just throw a tantrum for seemingly no reason. And that can be in the middle of a store. It could be driving in the car. It could be sitting in a restaurant. It could be over a friend's house. It could be around the dining room table. It could be as we're walking on the beach, it could be just about anywhere at any point in time, seemingly, as I say it now, it all feels connected, but it's, it's not that connected in day-to-day -day life. Yeah. And when I don't get it, when she throws a tantrum, then what she'll do is again, somewhat sporadically and randomly, she'll come running to me in her, her frustration that I can't get it and I haven't heard her. She'll come and she'll try and rip my shirt or bite me. And Dawn, I like to believe that I'm an intelligent, sensitive man who loves my daughter more than anything and would give anything to understand her. But for 15 years, this went on and I didn't have any idea what to do. Sometimes it would happen three, four, 10 times a day. Finally, in the midst of her rage, I looked at her and I said, Elisa, I can't do this anymore. You know, I love you. I adore you. You know, I would give anything to understand you, but I just don't understand your words. Would you do me a favor? Would you try and say what you're trying to say to me right now without words? I thought, why not give it a shot, right? She looked at me and her rage turned into the smile that melted my heart. And in perfect English, she said, I am daddy. Oh. I said, what in God's name do you mean you are daddy? How are you doing that? And why did it take so long for you to tell me that? Like, wh wh what are you doing? And she went like this. And what I realized that she was telling me is she'd been putting thoughts into my head all this time. Thoughts that I had actually heard. Thoughts that I had actually understood. But I just didn't believe that she was capable of telepathically communicating to me because I didn't even know that she knew the thoughts that she was putting into my head. Because when people don't speak, we think they don't think. But because people don't speak doesn't mean they don't think. They do think. And she does think. And she has a lot to say. And so in that moment, I said to her, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head all this time? And she started to laugh. But her laugh had on it 
the freedom of all the weight of trying so hard to get across to me. And it became a contagious laugh that I just couldn't stop laughing with her. And we laughed for what was probably 15 minutes. It felt like it was 15 years. And we just were as happy as two, two clams in a, in a pot or whatever, whatever it's called. And from that moment on, Dawn, she never, she never yelled, she never tantrumed, and she never attacked again. Because now oh, she wow. knew how to get through to me. So let me stay with me one more minute, okay? I know I'm a long storyteller. I'm sorry. Had that been all that had happened, that would have been all that needed to happen. I would have been thrilled because I have a relationship now with my daughter where I know how she speaks to me and I can hear her. But I didn't stop there. I'm a little bit greedy. I said, I wonder if everybody else in the world relates to the world the way my daughter does. And when I looked out, I saw that everybody I know, everybody I worked with, everybody that I, every family that I worked, that I saw does exactly the same thing. When they speak and they don't get heard, they yell. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create a, they create a tantrum, they create chaos. They try and disrupt something to, to try and make it, make it, you know, an ominous feeling. And when the ominous feeling doesn't work, they try, they attack. So they'll try and either destroy a marriage. They'll try and destroy a reputation of a person. They'll try and bring down the leaders of a company. They'll try and shoot up a building or a town square. They'll try and blow up a building. So I said, darn it, I'm going to take what my daughter taught me into boardrooms. I'm going to take it into hospitals. I'm going to take it into prisons. I'm going to take it into education places, into schools. I'm going to take it into homeless shelters. And I'm going to start to share this simple 30-year-old developmentally delayed child's view on how to end disagreement, war, and suffering. Because all you have to do is retrofit it back. So for people who have businesses and want to be leaders, how much are you listening to your employees? When was the last time you talked to your janitor and said, what do you think about the way we're doing this company? When was the last time you spoke to the person who is driving you in your car? When was the last time you spoke to the person who's, who's serving you lunch in your cafeteria? When was the last time you spoke to your secretary and asked him or her, what do they think? What was the last time you spoke to a random person on the street and just said to them, do you even know about our company? What do you think about it? And just listened, not to rationalize, not to defend, not to protect, but just to listen and hear. Do you have any idea what you would, how your company would change if you would listen to the people that you walk past and you don't even acknowledge most of the day? Do you have any idea what sort of a culture that would create in your company? The fact that I see things differently from others was always something that isolated me from others until companies got stuck in their own path. And they found out about me and they said, huh, we hear you see some stuff different. I said, yeah, you see stuff different from me. Let's sit together and see when we see differently, what, do, what does that really bring us to? What place does that bring us to? And they hired me to innovate in their companies. And we had some of the most beautiful sessions happening where 
people that were stuck looking at the same thing, always in the same way, suddenly started to see it in five, six, 10, 20, 30 different, different ways and started to say, well, what would happen if we looked at it this way? In Zen, they call this practice, the Zen mind is the beginner's mind. That means simply that when you're able to do the same thing you've done all the time, over and over and over, as if it was the first time you ever did it, you wouldn't believe what you would see. That is totally interesting. And I would have never thought that this conversation would have went this direction. And I think it needed to go this direction because there is a lesson that a lot of us need to see, need to hear. And sometimes the ones closest to us try to show us things and we are so in the moment that we forget that sometimes they communicate totally different than we do. And it's opening that mind and opening what you see in front of you and looking at it totally different and being comfortable with looking at it differently than what you ever have. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about, we just need to be able to listen. We need to talk to our associates. And I've only known one true servant leadership in my whole career that would do that. And that is where I learned it from him. And I still really look up to him. Even to this day, I've not worked with this person in a good number of years. But when it comes to leading a company or leading a team, that is who I model it after. And that was one of the things that he said, just sit down and listen. Don't have any expectations. And I think that's really what you were talking about is listen and don't have any expectations of what somebody is going to say. And it's interesting when you say that you get those thoughts from your daughter because it's something that I've noticed in the last, I would say the last three months that I have picked up on and I'm going like, it's jarring when you're not used to it. But once you get used to it, it's like, Oh, and I think a lot of people, if they're really going to realize that they actually do this is couples that have been married for a while and you, you read each other's thoughts and you know it, you just don't realize that you know it, but you do. And you do the same thing. And I find myself doing the same thing with my three dogs. It's hilarious, (laughs) but it's the way that I connect and you can connect with your people in leadership that same way and taking that analogy and just giving them that moment just to listen. If I could tell, do I, do we have time for one more story or are we done? No, we have time for one more. Okay. Go. So I just want to, I just want to say a reinforcing story to everything that we've been saying, because as I told you, I've had the opportunity to mix with a lot of people in my world. The person after my daughter that's taught me the most is not a CEO of some of some Fortune 10 company. It isn't the man who tried to train me and mentor me to take over his billion dollar company. 
There was a homeless man that I met on the street corners of San Diego. I was walking down the street and I just felt like this energy of this of the town downtown was so was so strong and so uh, so confrontative. People were standing there yelling at each other and doing stuff. I just sort of wanted to withdraw myself and I moved over to where a corner of a uh, to go to a corner where there was a building and I just wanted to sit against the wall and just remove myself from from the day-to-day of people passing by. But there was a homeless guy there. And he looked at me and caught in the same spirit of the people on the street, said, this is my corner, you can't come here. This is my corner, you, you can't, this is mine. Don't you, you're not welcome here. And I said, friend, I'm not trying to take anything from you. I said, how much will you make in the next 20 minutes? He said, $5, I make $5. I said, okay. I went into my wallet and I gave him $50. I said, here's 10 times what you're going to make. And you can make the $5 too. I just need a place to sit. And I just want to, I just want to talk with you a little bit. I just want to hear what's going on in your life. It took him about 45 minutes to open up to me, but I was there 45 minutes with him. And over the course of 45 minutes, I just watched him sort of relax. He saw he wasn't a danger. He saw I wasn't going to hurt him. He saw nothing was going to happen. And I said to him, Corey, all these people are passing you by on the street. You see them all day, all evening. Same people sometimes pass you three, four, five, ten times a day. If you could stop them, what would you say to them? And he said, he didn't even miss a beat. He said it without a thought, second thought. He said, I would ask each one of them to spend 10 minutes and walk up to someone they don't know and just ask them how they're doing. Just to find a stranger on the street and ask them how they are. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and change them. Don't try and help them. Don't try and feed them. Don't try and do anything. Just ask them how they're doing. And I said, Corey, of all the things that you could say, like, that's beautiful. I mean, I see how relevant that is. But why that? You could have said, please give money to homeless people. Please buy food for, you know, please help your neighbors. Please do. Why do you want just people to ask somebody how they're doing? And he said, Danny, three months ago, I had a terrible day being homeless. Great days being homeless are not good days. But some days are terrible. On the course of most days, someone is either going to spit you, spit at you, yell at you, kick you, punch you, urinate on you, take you, try and take your money, try and yell at you, try and embarrass you. On this one day, all of it happened at once. Plus, added into it, someone took a bag that I thought was food, and they threw it at me, and it was defecation. And I thought, gosh. I don't want to be like, it's not like I long to be a homeless person. This isn't, this, this is not what a situations have put me into this situation and I can't get my way out, but I hate being homeless. But if I'm bringing anger and this sort of feeling to people around me, this isn't worth it. I'm just going to go around the corner on the street, right behind us, Danny. He said to me, it's dark and nobody ever goes there. And I decided when evening came, I was going to go there and I was going to take my life. And not two minutes after I had that thought, a man came up to me and he put his hands on my shoulder. And he said, how are you doing, brother? 
and crocodile tears welled up in my eyes and started to drop from my eyes. And I said, you don't want to know that, my friend. Probably better for you just to keep walking and just forget that I even exist. And the man said, I don't think so, my friend. And he sat down next to him and he hugged him. And he said, I'm here. Tell me everything you need to tell me. I'm here and I'm listening to you. Corey said, I cried more in 10 minutes than I've cried most maybe in my entire life. But Danny, it only took 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, I felt I can't kill myself tonight. Here's a man who's a dignified, respectable man who just sat with me and cared enough about me to ask how I was doing. I can't kill myself. What would I say to him? If what would, I, what would happen if he came by tomorrow and I wasn't here and he heard that I killed myself? That wouldn't be the right thing to do. But I never saw that man again, Danny. And I wish he could know that that day, just those 10 minutes, he saved my life. Well, Don, that story that Corey told me touched me so much that I tell it at every podcast that I go, every speech that I give, every boardroom that I visit, every, every uh, presentation that I give. I make sure somehow or other to include that story into the course of my presentation. And by now, millions of people have heard Corey's story with also the invitation that he gave to me to take 10 minutes out of the course of your life and go up to someone you don't know and ask them how they are. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and change them. Don't try and help them. Don't try and correct them. Just listen to them. I've never seen Corey again since that day. I've went down there several times to try and find him, but I can't find him. He doesn't know that he started a, a revolution of listening that I hope will overtake this planet where people out of nowhere will walk up to people out of nowhere and start asking each other, how are you? I, in honor of Corey, have started a, a conversation called 50 Conversations with 50 Strangers. Within the first two weeks, I, I already sold out my 50 strangers, not sold out, 50 people signed up. I already had those conversations. So I'm just going to continue it going. And I'm going to continue to have conversations with people that I don't know, strangers that I don't know, to just sit and listen to them, to honor Corey, so that I can give homage to what he said. And if anybody is listening here, who just wants someone to listen to them, just find me. You can find me on Facebook. I'm sure Dawn's going to have all my all my contact information that I'll send her to be in the show notes. Yes. Just contact me and, and let's have a conversation. Let's just sit together. And I'm here to listen to you and hear what, what's going on. I don't expect to save your life, but who knows what will happen. When the power comes through you and it comes through me, who knows where we meet. And That's what real leaders do. Yes, very much so. And I think we are going to end it with that because there is nothing right now that is more important than what you just said. And I think it needs to end with that. Um, I do have 
your information put up on the banner. Beautiful. So for those of you want to purchase the mosaic, you can purchase it online or you can go to Amazon and both of those links are in there. And then we can also put your link to your Facebook page too as well. Perfect. Danny, this has been an awesome conversation. This turned into so much more than I thought it was going to turn into. And I appreciate you being on here. And I think I want to have you on again because be I, th I think we got some more to talk about. So I'm going to end the way that I usually do. Ladies and gentlemen, if nobody has told you today, even though that this is a leadership podcast, you are loved and you are the beacon of hope. Have a good one and I will see you next podcast. <laughs>